Welcome to the Transatlanticist Politics Podcast at the America Centrum in Hamburg. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Sola. Just a note to the listeners, we are recording this episode on the 13th of September, and the federal elections in Germany are on September 26th. As you know, two weeks can be an eternity in politics, so a lot could happen in the next two weeks, but we'll discuss where we're at today. So the German people will be going to the polls to decide the new federal government in Berlin. However, they will also be deciding on a new chancellor to replace Angela Merkel. It still seems hard to imagine that Chancellor Merkel will be retiring after 16 years in office. During this time, she established herself as the calm and reasonable face of German politics. She also became the most influential political leader in the EU and the most powerful woman in the world. Whoever the new chancellor is, he or she will have big shoes to fill. So who are those other candidates and what are the most important issues influencing German voters? We're going to spend the next hour answering those questions, and I'm fortunate to have a fantastic expert to fill in all the details. Christina Neuhaus. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Glad to be here. Christina Neuhaus has been reporting from the halls of power in both Germany and the United States for the last 20 years. In the U.S., she worked for Deutsche Welle Radio in Washington, D.C., as well as Oregon Public Radio. Upon returning to Berlin, she became politics editor for Die Welt and then the political correspondent for the DAPD. More recently, she has held a number of positions with Agence France Presse, including foreign affairs editor and economics correspondent. Since 2018, Ms. Neuhaus has covered the German federal government for the AFP. She has a big portfolio that includes the finance ministry, the foreign ministry, and the education ministry. In addition to that, she covers two major political parties, the SPD and the FDP. So we've got a terrific expert who's going to explain a lot of the nuance for all of you listeners out there. So we're going to start today just with an overview of the voting system in Germany, and then we'll talk a little bit about the parties and the so-called chancellor candidates. So let's just start here, Christina with the voting system, and maybe you can also talk about election mechanics and specifically how the coronavirus is influencing voting. Sure. So on September 26th, everyone here who goes to the polls will have two votes. There is one vote that's a party vote. So that is more or less the most important one because it mainly decides who gets how many seats in parliament. But there is another vote where you vote for one candidate. In every voting district, the parties put up direct candidates, as they're called, and you can vote for one of them. So whoever gets the most votes 
gets a seat in parliament for sure. So it doesn't matter how big your margin is, right? It's a winner takes all. So if you're just a little bit ahead, that's enough and you have a guaranteed seat in parliament. And then the rest of the seats are basically allocated according to this other vote where you vote for a party. And you can't vote for a chancellor directly. That's interesting, I think, for, for people in a lot of countries where the system is different. So you can't actually say, I want this person to be chancellor. But you have to vote in a way that maybe you vote for the party directly that has the best candidate in your view, or you vote in a way that you think, I want this coalition to happen, and then this person will be in charge, but you can't vote for the actual person who will be in charge themselves. Yeah, you just mentioned the coalition. Can mm -hmm. you explain a little bit about how coalition governments are formed? And of course, it starts with the fact that none of the parties ever reaches 50% plus one of the votes, correct? Yes, so the last time that happened is decades ago, that there was a party that had more than 50% of the vote, so that doesn't happen anymore. Was that the CDU back then? Yes. So you need to form a coalition, you need a partner, and this election is different in the way that it will very probably be three parties in the end that form a coalition. So far, it's only ever been two. So at the moment, for example, it's the CDU, the Conservative Party, and the, and the SPD, the Social Democratic Party. And it's, it's always been two uh, parties for the last few decades, but now two isn't even going to be enough, right? Because the political landscape has changed so much and it's so split up that it's very probably going to be three parties in the end. And this is a topic in the campaign as well. People know which parties are likely to go together and which are not. But there are a lot of options right now because three partners is a lot. There are a lot of combinations possible at the moment. And that's an interesting feature, I think, of German politics. Maybe the Dutch are similar in this respect. Since no party can ever win an absolute majority, there's a lot of centrist negotiating going on because you can't really... You can't really be too much of an extreme because then you would never be able to form a coalition because no one would ever join it with you. So there's, I think, this gravitational pull toward this, the center of German politics. What do you think? Yeah, and people also have to be careful about what they say during the campaign as in terms of, I would never do this. You know, like if, if I become chancellor, I would never do this or I would most definitely do this because... What if during the negotiations with the potential partners, you just can't get that agreed, right? So it influences the campaign in that way, too, that you have to be a little open about things because you know that after the election, some of the people that you're now attacking will have to be your partners. Right. And since we've been talking a lot about the different parties and mentioning them already, let's just quickly run through, I think we'll do six. There are more than six parties, but we'll run through the top six. Six are in parliament right now. So that makes sense. Six are in parliament right yeah. now. And this will be the uh, CDU. And the chancellor candidate is a man by the name of Laschet. Then we have the SPD or the SPD, and the chancellor candidate is Schultz. And these are two of the traditional biggest parties in Germany. So 
these are very bad comparisons, but just for the American audience, you can compare, in some respects, the CDU to a traditional center-right party like the Republicans when they were normal. <laughs> and the yes. SPD is something like a center-left party like the Democrats when they are normal. <laughs> and then, of course, the third party, which has been growing a lot recently, is the Greens. So those are the top three. And we'll start with those three. Sure. And just so you know, the polling today shows the SPD, so the center-left party, at 25%, the CDU at 21%, and the Greens at 16%. And that's from Politico. So let's start with uh, Laschet and the CDU. Yeah, so the CDU obviously has been in power for a long time now because, as you mentioned earlier, Merkel has been the chancellor for 16 years. Laschet is currently uh, the leader of the Bundesland in Germany that has the most people. That's North Rhine-Westphalia, so in the, in the West. Yeah, he's also head of his party. In the beginning of the campaign, in the early days of the campaign, the CDU polled very, very well. They were far ahead in number one. But there was a fight in the party about who should be the chancellor candidate, and that started to bring them down, I think. And then Laschet has had some, well, let's say, some PR problems. He had some blunders. There were several things that he, didn't, he just didn't do very well. I'm remembering the after the floods that maybe our listeners remember the terrible floods in the west of Germany. At a serious memorial or press conference, there was footage of Mr. Laschet joking around with some other politicians and dignitaries in the background Yeah, in a village that had been totally destroyed and where many people died, and that did not go over well with the German public. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one. That was, that was a serious blunder. He was talking during a press conference of the German president. So the German president is in the foreground talking about how terrible this catastrophe is. That affected Laschet's Bundesland, right? And he's standing in the background, like you just said, and he's just laughing as if something is the most hilarious thing in the world. And yeah, that did not go over well with people. So his public appearance has raised a lot of questions more so than than the actual issues, I think. So at the moment, he is he is behind. He's in number two in the polls. And if you ask for who would you like to have as chancellor directly, that's a very common poll question, even though people can't vote for the chancellor directly. He's always last at the moment. So it's always oh, wow. Scholz with a big margin ahead. And then it's Baerbock, the green chancellor candidate. She is she's in second place. And then somewhere far down the line is him. So he is the he's now fighting an uphill battle because, yeah, obviously he wants to win as well. And unfortunately, his blunders haven't helped him. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, as I've been traveling around Germany the past couple of weeks, I've been taking note of my favorite election posters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the one for the CDU that I chose was as follows. I'll read it in German and then translate. It's Mit Sicherheit vor bezahlbares Wohnen and vor ein gutes Leben im Alter. So that means... So a Germany with with security, so a secure Germany and security is a 
and and here I don't think it means security against terrorism. I think it means uh, just life security. Yeah, I agree. And then for Batsalbaras Fonin is for a a livable, payable life, so that so things aren't too expensive, such as apartments, food, and train tickets. And lastly, for Ein Gutes Leben im Alter is that is for the retirees right. in Germany are huge and powerful voting yes. block, of course. So everyone panders to the retirees. Yeah, for sure. But also the amount of money retirees are getting paid in the equivalent of German Social Security has become a pretty big topic. Yeah. Now, the reason I chose this one, Christina, is because those three themes are the same themes that everyone else has. All the parties have a similar form of sure. that poster. Yeah. Everyone's for security. Everyone's for a livable, payable existence. And everyone is for helping out retirees. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? And I just, <laughs> yeah, as, as you would, it's, it's not. Uh, but, but what's interesting about the CDU, and I think Merkel has influenced this a great deal, she's been able to guide the political debate, and she's really made the CDU uh, a party of pretty centrist issues, sure. and you can't really be to the left or right of them. Yeah, no, it's true. And yeah, this is the big topic, I think, in the CDU campaign is like, we, we are in the middle and we don't want to change the country too much, right? They, they try to make sure that nobody gets hurt. <laughs> too much in a way and so I bike by a one of those really big billboards every day from the CDU and it says damit Deutschland stark bleibt so that just means keeping Germany strong and everybody can just interpret that the way they want right who could ever argue with a slogan like that so they're they're pretty in the middle if you look at their program for the election it's not very detailed a lot of things are painted with a pretty broad brush and they just want to give people the, the feeling that not too much is going to change for them. And mm -hmm. I'm, I agree with you, that has a lot to do with Merkel because they also want to keep this Merkel legacy as a plus for them, right? Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't choose that same election poster from four yeah. years ago, <laughs> which was a picture of Merkel and it said, in safe hands. Yeah. That's all. In Zishra Handen, in safe hands. And that, that was, I thought, pretty effective. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nothing else, just, we've got Merkel, you're in safe hands, vote for yeah, us. Yeah, see, they try that, because on the one that I just mentioned on this billboard that says keeping Germany strong, it's a, it's a very big photo of Laschet's head. So they, they just try <laughs> to put Laschet in there instead of Merkel and hope it works. Speaking of big heads... <laughs> That's mean. Let's move on to the SPD mm -hmm. and uh, Herr Schultz, yeah. who is their chancellor candidate, who is currently the finance minister, and he was the first minister for Hamburg, where the American Centrum is located some years ago. So so what does the SPD stand for and how is Schultz doing? Well, so the they're the Social Democrats, so social issues are a big thing for them. Their big like slogan, their main word for the whole campaign is respect. 
So they want to give out the message that they respect everybody. Like if you are working a not well-paying job, for example, they want to raise the minimum wage. If you're an old person, obviously they want to make sure your pension is secure. So respect is what they're communicating a lot. And yeah, they're talking about, like I said, the minimum wage, affordable housing, just classic social democratic topics a lot. And their campaign is very, very, very much centered around Scholz. Like he is on the big billboards. It's just him. And then it says chancellor for, for example, affordable housing, right? Things like that. So he has been... He has held public office for a really long time. As you mentioned, he's now finance minister. He uh, was in the federal government before he was the, the minister of labor. He, he governed Hamburg for a long time. So he has been in charge of things in different places for a long time. And that's what the SPD wants to capitalize on. They want to say, hey, this guy has experience. He has been at this for a long time. He's been doing well. We, we can maybe talk about the stuff that's not going so well for him in a minute. And um, yeah, that's that's what they want to communicate to people that this guy can handle it because he's been doing it and he knows how things go. In, in many ways, they are advertising him as the natural successor to Merkel. Yes, they are. Even though he's of a different party, but they're taking Merkel's good qualities and transposing them upon Schultz. And I think that's actually a smart strategy because the other two, so Laschet, um, he's the minister in the, in the, in the Bundesland, uh, North Rhine-Westphalia, right? But he hasn't held office on a federal level. And Annalena Baerbock, the chancellor candidate of the Green Party, she hasn't held any public office so far. She is head of her party, but she hasn't held any public office so far. And so I think it's a smart move by the SPD to present Scholz as this is the guy who knows how it works. And the other two don't maybe really know what what they're up to or what they're what they're getting into. Yeah. And and Laschet, as you said, is a. And, and for American listeners, he's the equivalent of a governor of a state. Yes, Say right. he would be like the governor of Texas or California, so a big, powerful, wealthy, industrious state. Mm -hmm. What I found interesting from what you just said from an American perspective is usually when the U.S. has governors who become presidential candidates, they always say, oh, this is a positive because I'm not tainted by corruption in D.C. Right. <laughs> and I, I haven't heard anything about no one is, is like uses that kind of argument that a governor or a minister of uh, Bundesland somehow is better because he's not tainted by the Bonzen in Berlin, by the lobbyists and others. No, you're right. That that doesn't really come up. I think that has to do with the fact that the federal government is held in at least slightly higher esteem here um, <laughs> than, than in the US. I mean, the system is also very different, right? Because states in America have much more independence within the country than, than the Bundesländer here do, even though we are a federal system as well. But it's different. And yeah, this this image of, oh, in the capital, everybody is just corrupt. And I don't know, it's a swamp, things like that. That doesn't really come up here. 
what the what the candidate from the Green Party is doing is she is trying to position herself as a new force for change, right? Because both the SPD and the CDU have now been in government uh, together for eight years. And and before that, the CDU was in government with somebody else. And before that, the SPD was in government with somebody else again. And so they're like, yeah, we, we want something fresh, something new. You have had eight years and you didn't do the stuff that needed to be done, for example, on climate change. And uh, now someone new has to come in and actually start doing stuff. So in that way, she is positioning herself as a new force, but not in this with this swampy rhetoric. Interesting. Uh, final point on Schultz before we do discuss the Greens a little bit more. So the poster that I selected for Schultz was what you already mentioned. Uh, his poster just says, uh, respect for you. Right. Respect for Deesh, yeah. which, which from a marketing point of view is pretty interesting. And apparently it might be very effective, as you said. So we have that respect for Deesh as this common theme. But Schultz himself is having some trouble now. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the potential political scandals that have plagued him? Sure. So the most recent one is actually something that happened this past week. So just a few weeks ago, prosecutors from one of the Bundesländer, from one of the states, came into his uh, ministry to do a raid. And... In one way, it's pretty spectacular because that doesn't happen very often, right? A raid in a, in a federal ministry. And before an election. Right before an election. Yeah, there have been some questions about that. You know, was it in some way politically motivated? I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. I, I kind of doubt it because I don't really think prosecutors work that way. But who can tell? Anyway, so what they were doing. So there is a unit that is called the Financial Intelligence Unit, or FIU, that is working against money laundering. They're finding, fighting money laundering, and they're not within the ministry, but the ministry sort of has directorial oversight over this unit, right? And this unit hasn't been doing great work. I think everyone pretty much agrees on that. They have just been not doing enough to fight money laundering, which is actually a big problem over here. So prosecutors have been working on this case, I think, for about a year to figure out, like, did people sort of criminally neglect their work in this FIU? And now they came to the to the finance ministry to see if they could find any additional information that could help them move the case along. And so now Scholz has to face the question, like, did you not do your oversight job well enough? Should you have been tougher on this unit that was obviously not doing a great job? And he has been saying, like, well, I already did stuff. Like, I put more people into the unit. I gave them new IT. I changed the leadership, stuff like that. And that's, that's all true. He did. But still, he's facing that question. And this debate also brings up two other things that are a little bit older, but also connected to him and that are big problems. So I think most people have heard of the Wirecard scandal. So Wirecard was this, this finance service 
that collapsed and then all of a sudden more than two billion euros were gone and nobody knew where they ended up it's it's like the biggest Oops. scam <laughs> <laughs> that any company pulled off i think probably in the history of this country i don't know so the wire carrot case showed that the financial regulator just doesn't do a very good or didn't do a very good job didn't maybe didn't have enough a power to really look into stuff like that, things like that. And this is another regulatory body that is like under Scholz's oversight, right? So this is another thing where he had to answer the question, did you not see that that wasn't working, that they weren't doing a good enough job? Why did you only see that after Wirecard blew up? Things like that. So that is coming. So he was in charge. He was in charge of the the regulatory agency at the time? No, but it's like it's like a subsidiary from the finance ministry, basically. Right? Okay. And then there's a third thing that people might have heard about as well. It's this tax cheating the government out of taxes on a very big scale. It's called COMEX. It's a very complicated scheme. It has to do with dividends that companies pay and then people pay taxes on that, but they can get the taxes refunded. And then several people said, yeah, I paid this tax, please refund me, even though only one of them actually paid it. It's, it's a really complicated thing, but people somehow came up with that and were very successful. Um, this is another thing where billions of euros did not make it into, this, into the, the state pockets where they should have been, right? So this actually has to do with Scholz in his time that he was uh, in Hamburg. And he had somehow closed ties to one of the banks that were involved in this scheme. And then the bank was supposed to pay those taxes back that they cheated the state out of. But Scholz failed to to get the money back in time, right? Because at some point it's too late. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is another thing that is coming back now to haunt him. This was years ago, but still people are wondering is like, is this guy responsible or behaving responsibly or tough enough on financial crimes? So it is affecting him negatively. Yes. Yes, it is. We can we can see that in the polls. Yeah, I mean, he's still he is still ahead in the polls for sure. But he is someone who is very controlled, very, very good on message. He doesn't really misspeak very often. He doesn't have those blunders like the laughing video that we just talked about for Lashet. He's this he's a very, very professional. A lot of people say boring. <laughs> politician mm -hmm. and this this whole complex is the one thing that is standing against him or that his critics are using to to attack him because on all the other issues it's very difficult to find an angle where you can attack him or criticize him okay let's move on then to the greens and Baerbach. and you've already made a really important point which is that Baerbach is positioning herself as a real candidate for change. We call them change candidates. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the Greens and Baerbach, please. So it's interesting. At the moment, the Greens are the smallest 
party in the parliament. But actually, uh, some months ago, they were briefly number one in the polls. So they've, they've gotten a big boost from, I think, especially all the stuff that has recently come out about climate change. Like I said, these floods that we had in Western Germany in July did bring this topic more to the center of the campaign. There was the new IPCC report that said, oh my God, it's all even worse than we thought. We have to act now, things like that. So Baerbock is different from the other two candidates in several ways. First of all, she's a woman, so um, the other two are men. She's much younger. She's 40, Laschet is 60, and Scholz is 63. And she is an outsider insofar as she hasn't held public office yet. And the Greens have been in federal government in, in, as part of a coalition with the SPD, but they have never led the federal government. So their, their big topic, like you said, is, is climate change and uh, saving the environment and things like that. They also have a big social component like fighting against poverty. They also want to raise the minimum wage to 12 euros and things like that. And yeah, for a while, it looked like maybe they had a chance to actually get into the chancellery. But Baerbock had a few blunders along the way as well. There were things in her CV that weren't quite right. She has a book where she apparently plagiarized things, or I don't know if that's too strong a word, but she copied... Uh-oh, the university <laughs> professor here is very disappointed. <laughs> yes, I know. So she copied stuff from other people into her book. I mean, it's a it's one of those books that politicians write. It's not like a dissertation or anything like that, but still, you know, that it paints a weird picture. It's like, why didn't you do that right? What's... Yet another German politician I can raise in my classes on cite, citing correctly. <laughs> it's a long after list After what's his right? name, Zur Gutenberg, Zur Gutenberg, and then, yeah. Right, and Gipfel. Oh, and yeah, the Ministry yeah. of Education. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't the Minister of Education... Didn't she plagiarize too? Oh, the the, the, years ago. the minister of uh, the the family minister, yeah, Giffey. She yeah. she did that, and um, oh yeah. Well, there are a lot that have this problem. What's interesting mm-hmm. is I think if American politicians plagiarize people, and even say Biden famously plagiarized speeches from Neil Kinnock, mm-hmm. this is thirty years ago. I just don't think Americans take it as seriously as the Germans do, that they would lose their positions over it. Yeah, I think... As Zora Gutenberg did, the defense minister maybe a decade ago lost his job because of this. I think the the public outrage here is pretty big about these cases, and I think it has to do with the fact that people somehow think, okay, if if you're not honest when you're writing your dissertation or book or whatever it is, maybe you're just not an honest person, you know? Like the the fact itself, I think, is not such a big deal. But then what does that tell me about you? And people are like, huh, can I trust you if you don't even quote people right in your dissertation, mm-hmm. right? I think that's that's how it always ends up bringing people down. Interesting. And yeah, so the Greens, as I mentioned, are currently the, the smallest faction in Parliament. And this is the first time they have a really, really big campaign. This is the first time they have a chancellor candidate. They had not done that before. And it's, it's I think they're struggling a bit just with the size 
of this task, right? It's a lot of money, it's a lot of strategy, it's a lot of how do we time it right, which posters and slogans do we use when, all this stuff. And the other parties are just more versed in that because they have been doing it for a long time. Like they always had the chancellor candidate, they always had more money, more people, and just more resources to do that. And for the Greens, it's the first time. And so they make mistakes, you know. It's election infrastructure, yeah. which obviously this is why it would be almost impossible for an American third party to do much right. because of that huge infrastructure that the established parties have. They have the consultants, they have the people, they have the experience, all of yeah. that. So, yeah, so now the Greens are in third place in the in the polls, like in the one you just you mentioned up front uh, from today, the new one. And it looks it looks like they're not going to make it to number one, at least. Maybe they can secure the number two spot, but number one is, I think, pretty much out of reach right now. So a last point on the Greens before we move on. The, the poster that I saw that puzzled me, and this was in Berlin, was that the Greens are against child poverty. <laughs> and I thought, what a bizarre thing to put on an election poster. Yeah. Surely even like the worst party in history could use that as For a slogan. Sure. Yeah. Who's, who's for? And this might be an example of what you were saying of maybe people who are spending money on a slogan that's just not effective, yeah. I believe. Yeah. No, I agree. That's another example of, of, yeah, there are a lot of those where you're just like, yeah, sure, but, <laughs> but where does it go beyond that, right? How do you actually want to do it? What are you planning to do to fight child poverty? Poverty, yeah, but nobody's going to walk by and be like, oh. I love child poverty. What are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, it's another one of those. Yeah, <laughs> they have they have better yeah. ones too. I just want to say some. That, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, still, I have to choose yeah, one. So I, yeah. a prankster, some prankster in in Berlin, mm -hmm. put up an extremely hysterical poster right above, I could say, day or SPD mm -hmm. poster. It said. I promise that I'll tell you everything you want to hear before the election. <laughs> I promise. It was really good. That, that's very on point. Yeah, very good. It's near Checkpoint Charlie if you cycle oh, by yeah, there. Oh, yeah, I have to check that out. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move to the second. And, and the reason why we're actually going carefully through these parties, just to remind the listeners, is it will likely be a three-party coalition. So one of these final three parties, well... We'll talk about the AfD probably will not be in it. But one of these final three parties might be the winning percentage yes. that gets, say, a coalition into power. That's right. So these are the FDP, the AFD, and the left. So let's start with the FDP, yeah. which I said was on actually 12% as of this morning. Yeah. So that's uh, the FDP is a liberal party. Um, they are pro-business, anti-tax, and liberal in the economic in sense, the, in not economic, in any American uh, sense. Way, yeah, they they are very progressive in terms of societal and social things. But yeah, they're 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 liberal in the economic sense. 
uh, yeah, they're always talking about lowering taxes, which does remind me of the Republican Party a little bit. And um, and eliminating government regulations. Yes, yes. So that's two, two big topics for them. They're basically like people need more freedom and more space to do what they want. Everybody has good ideas and big potential. Just leave them alone, right? And, and they can do a lot of stuff actually on their own. They were uh, in a government with Merkel a while ago, <laughs> so before the so-called Grand Coalition with the SPD. Yeah, they are, uh, they are doing pretty well in the polls, so better than, than in the last election. In the last election, they got 10.7%, so now they're polling at like 11, 12%. That's pretty good. And there are two ways, if we want to start mentioning coalition options a little bit, that they could end mm -hmm. up in government. So they could be in the so-called traffic light coalition. <laughs> German coalitions have silly names. That would be the SPD because their color is red. And then the FDP whose color is yellow. And then the Greens whose color is obviously green. The other option is the so-called Jamaica coalition. So that is, that is also FDP and Greens, but with the CDU whose color is black as the leading leading party, right? So yeah, they are important in the election because they could be the ones that make, that decide on which of the big parties is actually gonna be leading the government. Right, and the poster that I want to share, tell me what you think about mm -hmm. this, because this is one party that I think is really set, not setting itself against climate change per se, but they are trying to identify that there's a different approach than the ones that the Greens and the CDU and the SPD are pursuing. And this this poster said, Zufus mit dem Rad mit dem Auto per Bus entscheide selbst. So that means on foot, on your bike, with your car or on the bus, you get to decide yourself, which shows a couple of things. One, that the the FDP is the party of libertarian or liberal free choice in society. People should be allowed to make their own decisions about how they want to transport right. themselves. And this is really directly against green initiatives. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you painted a, a very accurate picture there. They spend a lot of time also in their election program saying what they don't want. <laughs> so, for example, they don't want a speed limit on the Autobahn. They don't want to make fuel emission cars illegal by a certain time. You know, they're, they're like, so what, what we want to do with climate change, basically, they say we want to have a cap on CO2 and then the the economy has the companies everybody has to figure out how we get there right that's basically the free market the free market yes, solves yeah our innovation is going to get us out of the mess basically possible but i don't know <laughs> could there be problems with the given that they have a pretty different stance on climate change would there be problems with the potential coalition with the greens yeah for sure yeah so one one big problem will be how do we address climate change how much government 
set rules do we want and how much do we just want the market to sort it out itself. Another big thing is the tax issue because as I said they want to lower taxes and the SPD and the Greens want to raise taxes on the really wealthy and partly in order to finance investment into fighting climate change, right? Things like that. So that's going to be a big issue there. On the other hand, if they were to go into this Jamaica coalition with the CDU, they have very different approaches on things like family and marriage and all that kind of stuff. Like the CDU is very conservative on that side of things and the FDP way more libertarian about it. So that is going to be a, a, a fighting point for that kind of coalition. Okay, and let's now go to the next party, the AFD, which, if we believe what everyone says, will never be part of a coalition, but they are worth mentioning sure. here because they're polling today at 11%. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know about the AFD, Christina, can you just tell us a little bit about the AFD? Well, they're the right-wing populist party. They came into, into more into the public eye and gained support during the time when a lot of refugees came to Germany, which Merkel famously enabled, I'm going to just say. And during this refugee crisis where Merkel was like, okay, we're, we're going to open our arms <laughs> to, to all these people in need, um, that's when the AFD became more important and gained more support. Before that, they were mainly an anti-Euro party, <laughs> like they did. They wanted to go back to the Deutsche Mark, right? And then they sort of became the more of an anti-refugee, anti-migration party. So all the other parties say that they will not form a coalition with them. And the AFD themselves actually don't really want to be part of the federal government. They want to be in the opposition. That's because that's their thing, right? They're against everything that the, the so-called old parties, that's what they call them, are doing. So they're not going to be in, in government, as you said. But yeah, they're still important because they show, I mean, 11% in the polls isn't nothing, right? They show that there is, is a certain number of people in the country that agree with their stance. And yeah, that's, I, I think that's worrying because, as I said, they're anti-migration, anti-refugees. They, a lot of the, their politics is misogynistic. Some people have been showing anti-Semitic views, outright racist views. And um, yeah, if by doing that you get more than 10% of the country to support you, that's an issue. Right. And another thing they are against is any strict climate change Yeah, policies. they say that climate change is not man-made. There you go. Then you don't have to do anything about it, right? So the election poster I want to share with everyone about the AFD works a lot better in German, but I, you'll get the point. It is kann ich noch nach Kreta Greta. <laughs> so that means, can I still go to the Greek island of Crete, Greta, and by which, well, the poster is referring to Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, the, um, the teenage 
uh, climate activists who started the Fridays for a Future right. thing. So, so here, this is, I think, you know, classic oppositional politics, yes. really, for that 10% of people who don't want their lives disrupted by some teenage girl who's saying, you can't drive your car anymore, you can't fly away on holidays to sunny climates, you can't do any of this. Obviously, it's a little bit misogynistic, too. Right. But this is like right in the AFD wheelhouse of effective oppositional messaging. Yeah, for sure. There is a the the slogan that they use in their uh, in their election program is Deutschland aber normal. So that means Germany but normal. Um, <laughs> and they put that on posters in different cities too. So for example, here in Berlin, it says Berlin but normal and <laughs> i don't think any berliner wants their city just to be normal right i don't think that's a very effective <laughs> slogan but yeah so so they're trying to paint this picture of like these these weirdos are trying to interfere with our traditional way of life just the way we've always done things and that's bad and we don't want that and we want to protect you voters from those crazy people mm-hmm Okay, and the last party then is the left party. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the left party and how they might be significant in this election? Yeah, so so the left party, they're called Die Linke in German, which just means the left. They are just that. <laughs> they're on the on the most left part of the spectrum among the the bigger parties, among the significant parties. They want to raise taxes for wealthy people a lot. They want not only to tax their income, but also the wealth they already have. They want to talk about at least to deprivatize certain parts of the infrastructure, like, for example, hospitals should be state-owned or other things like that. They want to raise the money that uh, the unemployed people get. So yeah, fighting poverty is a big thing for that. They want to raise also the the money that poor pensioners get, all those things like classic leftist positions. Which are also the same things that we actually see. Some of those are the same slogans we see in the CDU posters right. and the <laughs> SPD posters. So that, again, it's interesting that, you know, you have to get to really inside the left's political platform to find the stuff like we're going to privatize hospitals and have something like the NHS. Right. But there's another interesting issue, and I want to, I want to just comment this. Their, their poster is that they want to, it's Waffen Exporte Stoppen, mm -hmm. so to eliminate, and this is everywhere. I saw it in Berlin. I saw yeah. it in Hamburg. This is their national message. I remember years ago seeing it around Rammstein Air Force oh, wow, Base. Yeah. They want to eliminate weapons exports. Yes. Germany, I think, I'd have to check again, is probably number three or four in the world yeah, that's right. in exporting weapons. Yeah. So um, they consider themselves as staunch pacifists, right? So that's part of, of that platform. So yeah, they, they don't want to allow any arms sales to anyone anymore. And they also don't want to send the German army to fight abroad anymore like right now as people might know like german soldiers are involved in eu and un missions in different countries um, we were in afghanistan until recently with the other nato members 
there, for example, in Mali and in, in a lot of places. And so the the Linka want to want to put an end to that too. They also want to spend less on on defense in general. That makes them different from all the other parties, like even the Greens who have a pacifist heritage, I'm going to say, are saying, yeah, if if the mandate is good, we can send German soldiers abroad. Like if the, if the issue that they are supposed to be fighting about is legitimate, we can still do that. And so that's that's one point that that makes the, the link different from all the other big parties. But what's maybe even more important, especially in this campaign, is that their approach to foreign policy is much different. So they have called to make away with NATO to dismantle this whole organization, right? Because they say NATO has is a military organization that has done a lot of bad in the world. and We just want to get rid of that. They have very close ties to Russia. Not, I mean, not everybody, right? It's a pretty diverse party, obviously, but some people have, have very, very close ties to Russia and are being pretty apologetic about what Vladimir Putin has been doing and things like that, right? And that makes it difficult for anyone to consider a coalition with them. Even though 6% could be enough. Yes. I mean, if they get 6% of the vote, that could put two parties on the brink, and then potentially they could work with the left. Right. And this came up in the debate yes. last night. So on the 12th, there was uh, this question was directly asked of Laschet, Schultz, and, and Baerbock if they would ever join a coalition with the right. left, Die Linke. Yeah, so, so the CDU, Laschet, they're completely against it. They've always said that, like, we are not going to form a coalition with this party. But the SPD and the Greens, they say, we, we'll talk to them and then we'll see. Because I guess the idea is, yes, they are saying all these things about, like, we have to get rid of NATO and stuff like that. But what are they actually going to do if they have the chance to get into the government, if they if they have these coalition talks, will they want to push through on that? Or are they going to say, well, maybe we're just going to say we want reforms in NATO, you know, which is something that a lot of people are calling for. Or, you know, if the same with the with the um, with the German soldiers abroad, right, they could say, well, only if you know, the mandate is such and such that so, you know, they could be more flexible than it looks right now. But it's definitely going to be a difficult negotiation process if the SPD and the Greens talk to them about it. All right. So we've covered the parties and the candidates now. And we talked also a little bit about coalition possibilities, the various colored coalitions. But I just kind of want to take a broader step back now and just focus again on what you would say the top three topics are that are motivating voters to vote for a specific person. And I, and I think this is a hugely important point because I took a very informal anecdotal poll of various friends mm -hmm. and acquaintances of mine, right. 19 out of 20 of them. <laughs> have not made a decision yet about who to wow. vote for. 19 out of 20. That's crazy. Right. What do you think about that? Is that something that you're 
hearing also or well the the block of of the undecideds is pretty big i think that that's something they pull on too and i think in the latest polls it, it was somewhere between 15 or 20 percent but that is the same pretty much the same as four years ago in the last federal election so that's kind of normal but yeah so the big topics in this campaign one one of them is for sure climate change I mean, it's been a topic for a while now, and then it was really fueled by a few things that happened in the past few months. There were the floods in Western Germany, where experts say that has been made possible or at least more likely by climate change, right? And a lot of people died in that, like close to 200 people died in that. There was this IPCC report that said it's all worse than we thought and we need to act now. And even if we act now, a lot of really bad stuff is still going to happen environmentally because it's already come so far along, right? And um, then there was also a ruling by Germany's highest court that basically said, well, the government has a duty to act on climate change because they have a responsibility for the younger generation, right? They can't just leave it all up to them. They have to factor that into their decisions. So yeah, climate change is definitely one of the main issues in this campaign. But uh, it seems to me that the top three parties, again, and and Merkel was instrumental in in accepting climate change in the CDU. The SPD with its left-leaning ways is a climate change party in the Green Sioux. So which party stands to benefit the most? This is a sick thing to say, of course, from like the floods. Right. Well, it's difficult to say because people react differently to that kind of event, right? So, I mean, the Greens are definitely the ones that go furthest in the way that they want to change politics to react to, to climate change, right? So... For example, right now, Germany is set to stop using coal as an energy source in 2038. That was a long process with a big commission that worked on that for a long time. And then they made this plan and it it was made into law that it's going to be over by 2038. So the Greens want to do that by 2030, which isn't as far away as it sounds. It's only nine years, right? They want to stop the fuel emission cars, like only electric cars are supposed to get newly onto the streets, I think also by 2030. They want to push the the goal to make Germany so-called climate neutral by several years. And yeah, they're they're very ambitious. Yeah, I think on the one hand, there there are gonna be a lot of people who like that because they think this is a very, very urgent issue that we need to address. But there are also people who are gonna be like, well, yes, I know climate change is a problem, but isn't all this stuff that they're suggesting going too far and is it maybe going to cost me personally too much but yeah they are they are the party that are putting this issue front and center it's like their their dna basically as a party you you mentioned that there's this worry that people don't want the changes to cost them too much so let's use that to link to another issue that you've mentioned quite a bit as influencing voters and voting behavior, and that's taxes. Yeah, so I mean, 
taxes, I think, comes up in pretty much every election campaign around the world, right? Because people always want to know, am I going to have more money after this or less, right? It's It sometimes just comes down to something that simple. The conservatives, the CDU, they don't, they say they don't want to raise taxes. They actually, in, in certain points, want to lower taxes for people that are fairly wealthy, make make quite a good amount of money. One of the arguments they use for that is that they want to help the economy because actually a lot of companies pay income tax because if, if it's a, a smaller company and, and I'm the owner, I'm running this thing, then I am paying income tax on what my company is doing, right? So this it's an economical matter for them. And like I said, the SPD and the Greens want to raise taxes on the on the wealthy and the very wealthy. They want to lower taxes for people who make less money. And they want this money to get to the government so that investments can be made, for example, for certain things that have to do with climate change. And the one topic, which is strange because it seems to come up so much that we really haven't discussed yet, is the coronavirus. How is that affecting? Oh, yeah, that's still there. You're right. <laughs> Let's just have, how about a quick update on how corona is affecting the process? And, and if anyone's taking any political hits, well, namely the SPD and CDU, uh, I, I still firmly believe that Trump lost the U.S. election because of the coronavirus. I think he definitely right. would have won without the pandemic happening because the U.S. was in such a strong economic position and That's people true. were wealthier. Right. I think the difference here is that pretty much people from all parties have made mistakes or can be blamed for certain parts of the pandemic management going wrong, right? The federal minister for health is a CDU guy, but then the, the federal ministry, for example, for the family is held by the SPD. And there's a lot of debate about why our schools and childcare centers not made safer. Why, why, for example, do we not have a vaccine mandate for people who work there? Things like that. So I think there's just a lot of blame to go around. There is no one party or one person that sticks out as it was therefore they really did a very bad job. It's it's a lot of people that, that didn't manage this very well. For example, with the school question in Germany, schools is a matter for the is a state matter. There are lenders that are led by the CDU or by the SPD or by the Greens or even by the left party. And and nobody made a great job, did a great job there. So everyone shares the blame. You did mention in a, pre a previous email to me that one effect uh, of corona on the system of voting itself was voting by mail. How do you yes. think this is going to affect turnout and will it benefit one party more than another, do you think? Well, it's, it's definitely going to make a big difference in terms of when people make their decision to vote, because you can already vote by mail right now. And I think it's been about maybe two to three weeks that you could 
order the stuff that you need to to vote by mail and could already be done with that. So all the efforts that the parties are making now to change people's minds is not reaching as many people as it could because a lot of those letters are already mailed, right? Vote by mail in Germany is something that everyone can do. You just have to request um, the paperwork. That's all. You don't have to give a reason or anything. And um, it's been becoming more and more popular like every time, like in every federal election, the number of people who vote by mail is getting bigger. And um, what they think this year is that it could be more than half of people, wow. right? So, so far, I think it's been somewhere between a fifth and a fourth of the votes that were mailed in, and now it could be more than half. That would that would obviously be a record. And one or the main reason for this big jump is that people don't want to get coronavirus from going to their voting place. Right. Yeah. So that that is a big issue. And interestingly, some people or some parties are putting like little extra stickers on their posters that say vote by mail now. For example, mm -hmm. the SPD does this or the Greens where they're like, just get it out of the way now. Vote for us. Do it by mail. You're done. The only party who is anti vote by mail is the AFD. So the right wing party, they are bringing up pretty much the same arguments that Republicans have brought up in the US during the last election process, where they're saying it's not safe. It is prone to manipulation. We don't really know what's happening. Who is actually, you know, inking out that the, the paperwork in somebody's home and things like that. And um, yeah, the Federal Election Commission is, is spending a lot of time assuring, reassuring people that it is actually a safe way to vote. And does higher voter turnout or voting by mail benefit a party, do you think? Or is there no evidence for that? Hmm. I don't really know of any studies about that. I'm sure there are some. I'm going to say that usually higher voter turnout benefits parties that are left of the middle because usually people who vote conservative are more likely to go to the polls than people who vote more kind of left of center. Yeah, the fact that a lot of people are voting by mail is probably going to also make turnout be higher than usual. So in the end, we could, we could have an, a higher turnout in general because more people voted by mail. Okay, so we have covered all of the parties, candidates, and issues, and Yay. we haven't even begun to discuss <laughs> Angela Merkel's legacy. But yeah. unfortunately, I think we need to keep that as a question mark, and maybe we'll do a show in the future sure. on Merkel's yeah. legacy. I'd love to have you back, because you do a great job explaining all of the complexity thanks about German politics. So thanks for being here. Yeah, so Merkel, yeah, 16 years, crazy, right? Yeah, uh -huh. totally crazy. <laughs> anyway, that, that deserves its own its own discussion. Sure. Now, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I love putting journalists on the spot. Mm -hmm. It's what you do best. How, however, putting you on the spot would be asking you who you think would win. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to ask, will anyone be storming the Reichstag after the election? I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, 
There are certain scenarios where that I think would cause bigger demonstrations. For example, say the SPD comes out in number one as number one, but the CDU ends up forming a coalition with the FDP and the Green Party, the so-called Jamaica coalition. And so Laschet somehow becomes chancellor, even though his party didn't get the most votes. That is possible. I think that would really rally people on the left to to take to the streets and to demonstrate. But yes, storming the Reichstag, no, I don't think that's going to happen. That's something that the right wing people do. And I don't think that they're going to go and demonstrate, even if Scholz is going to be chancellor, right? <laughs> okay, well, I'll hold you to that prediction. And we have All you right. on tape if you're wrong. <laughs> Christina Neuhaus, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for all of your insight. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.